Section 3 of The Three Commanders This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James K. White, Chula Vista. The Three Commanders by William Henry Giles Kingston. Chapter 3 While the frigate stood to the northward, and the busy bee buzzed across to Madagascar, the opal stood for Mozambique, where Murray had to obtain an interpreter to pick up all possible information regarding the movements of slavers. Two days afterwards, the corvette came to an anchor off the chief settlement of the Portuguese on that coast. The town stands on an island, about a mile and a half in length, situated on a deep inlet of the sea, into which several small rivers fall. The harbor is of considerable size, its entrance guarded by a fort, beyond which appeared an avenue of trees on a gentle slope, then a collection of flat-roofed whitewashed houses, then the palace of the Portuguese governor, with pink walls and a considerably dilapidated cathedral, below which a stone pier with buttresses of a sugar-loaf form runs out into the sea. Not a very attractive-looking place, observed Terence to his brother-lieutenant, as they viewed it from the ship. "'Yet it speaks of the bygone magnificence of the once-proud Lusitanian,' answered the poet. "'I must write some lines on the subject. The place is not without interest.' "'Those dows and low, dark, piratical-looking schooners have considerably more interest to us, however,' said Adair. "'They are not employed in any honest calling. Depend on that.' and there lie two Spaniards and a Yankee. If they have no slaves on board, they will have before long, and we must do our best to catch them. We must depend on our own wits, though, for it's impossible to get any correct information from the Portuguese officers. They are, most of them, as errant slave-dealers as the Arabs themselves. That man-of-war schooner, for instance, is much more likely to help the slavers to escape than to assist us in catching them and is very likely often employed in bringing off a cargo of ebony from the shore. The schooner he pointed at was a handsome vessel, with a thoroughly piratical look about her. However, she formed a strong contrast to the Arab dows by which she was surrounded. They were of all sizes, the largest measuring, perhaps, 350 tons, if I had to describe a dow, I should say that her shape was like half a well-formed pear, cut longitudinally, observed Adair, looking towards the large craft over the quarter, which lay at some little distance and was preparing apparently to put to sea. See, her bow sinks deeply in the water, while the stern floats lightly upon it. Large as that craft is, she is only partially decked. She has cross-beams, however, to preserve her shape, and on them are laid flat strips of bamboo, which enable the crew to make their way from one end to the other. At the afterpart she has a large house, lightly built, the roof of which forms a poop, while the interior serves, I have no doubt, for the cabin of the skipper, and probably for his wives and children, as well as his passengers and the whole of his crew. She has a heavy, rough spar for a mast, tapering towards the head and raking forward. The sail which they are now just hoisting is, in shape, like a right-angled triangle, with a parallelogram below its base. 
the hypotenuse or head of the sail is secured to a yard like an enormous fishing rod the halyards are secured to it about a third of the way from the butt end and it is hoisted close up to the head of the mast a tackle brings down the lower end of the yard to the deck and serves to balance the lofty tapering point while the sheet is secured to the lower after corner of the sail though many of the smaller dows have only one mast that big fellow has two with a sail of the same shape as the first but more diminutive the larger sail is of preposterous proportions and it seems wonderful that she can carry it without being capsized it appears to be formed of a strong soft cotton canvas of extreme whiteness those vessels don't tack but when beating to windward wear by putting up the helm and taking the sheet round before the yard and bringing it aft again on the other side the deepest part of the dow being as you see under the foremast it forms a pivot round which the shallow stern obeying the helm rapidly turns clumsy as they look i hear that these craft are wonderfully fast and with the wind free will put us on our mettle to overhaul them i should like to judge for myself on that point observed mildmay fellows who have allowed prizes to escape them always declare that the craft they have chased is faster than anything afloat i hope we shall have the chance before long said adair we must keep a bright lookout from the ship and try to do what we can the commander intends running down the coast and then dispatching all the boats which can be spared to look into the creeks and harbors and other hiding places in which any slavers are likely to take shelter i should like to go on such an expedition myself if the commander can spare me shouldn't you no thank you answered mildmay i've no fancy for going away and sleeping in an open boat without a change of linen or any of the necessaries of life well then i'll leave you to do my duty on board and volunteer to command the first expedition sent away said adair you'll take good care of the ship in the meantime ah uh, yes though i have never aspired to the post of first lieutenant to oblige you said mildmay <laughs> thank you answered adair laughing in the afternoon the captain and lieutenants went to pay their respects to the portuguese governor and desmond and archie were invited to accompany them landing on the stone pier before described they made their way along the narrow dirty streets which literally swarmed with slaves there were faces of every form if not of color for all were black as jet their faces disfigured in every variety of manner some with lip rings others with rings in their noses and some with pieces of bone stuck spritsail fashion through the cartilage some instead of bone wore brass-headed nails while many had pieces of bone through their ears the faces of others were fearfully gashed a yellow dust filling up the grooves mozambique indeed is the chief slave mart of the portuguese and thousands of unhappy beings are kidnapped and brought there from all parts of the interior ready to be shipped to any country where slave labor is in demand the english officers found the portuguese governor seated in a broad veranda in an easy chair smoking a cigar and enjoying the sea breeze while sheltered from the hot sun he received them courteously begging them to be seated and ordering coffee and cigarettes which were immediately brought by his slaves 
the latter accompanied by a plate of hot charcoal from which to light them he expressed himself gratified by their visit and assured them that his great desire was to put down the slave trade but shrugging his shoulders he acknowledged that it was no easy matter in spite of all i can do he added sighing my subordinates will indulge in it what can be expected they do not like the country and are naturally in a hurry to make their fortunes and get away again it is a second nature to the arabs and their chief mode of existing and as long as the french and brazilians and cubans will buy slaves what can prevent it the former to be sure ship them as immigrants and free africans though not a negro would leave his country if he could help it the governor was so frank and apparently so sincere in his offers of assistance that murray told him one of his chief objects in coming to mozambique was to obtain an interpreter who could thoroughly be trusted i know the man for you said the governor though not a beauty he is worthy of confidence knows the whole coast and the tricks of the slave dealers and would obtain for you all the information you require i'll give directions to have him sent on board and you can there make any arrangements you think fit murray having thanked the governor for his courtesy he and his party took a walk round the island faith for my part i'd rather be first lieutenant of the opal than governor-general of all the portuguese settlements in the east put together exclaimed adair for of all the undetectable places i ever set foot in this surpasses them in its abominations soon after they returned on board an individual who announced himself as the interpreter sent by the governor-general of mozambique to serve on board her majesty's warship came up the side and what's your name my fine fellow asked murray as he eyed the unattractive personage the governor had certainly not belied him when he described him as destitute of good looks on the top of his grisly head he wore a large white turban his color might once have been brown but it was now as black as that of a negro frightfully scarred and marked all over he had but one eye and that was a blinker which twisted and turned in every direction when he spoke except at the person whom he was addressing his lips were thick his nostrils extended indeed his countenance partook more of the negro than of the arab type his feet were enormous with toes widely spread he wore a loose jacket striped with blue over a dirty cotton coat reaching to his knees and huge blue baggy trousers mehag es bin hamed at your service senor captain he answered making a salaam may understand show where you find all the slaves on the coast and every big ship and dhow that sails and what payment do you expect for rendering us these services asked murray forty pesados for one month sir eighty if i take one dhow and hundred and sixty if i help you to one big ship pretty heavy payment master hamed observed murray ah senor captain you not take one vessel without my help you see answered the interpreter drawing himself up and looking very important murray suspected that he was right and finally agreed to pay the reward demanded from that moment hamed was installed on board as a fair breeze blew out of the harbor murray was in a hurry to be off 
the pilot however asserted that he could not venture to take out the ship except during broad daylight the opal had therefore to wait till the next morning the pilot accordingly took his departure promising to come off again at an early hour sometime after sunset adair and the master were walking the deck discussing the plan of their proposed boat excursion to which the commander had agreed when as they turned aft they caught sight of the dark figure of a man who had just climbed over the taffrail and now stood quaking and shivering before them where do you come from my friend asked joseph but the stranger did not reply except by an increased chattering of his teeth though he put up his hand in an attitude of supplication well no one wishes to hurt you said green come forward and let us see what you are like and he called to the quartermaster to bring a lantern the stranger gaining courage from the master's kind tone of voice followed him and adair he was evidently greatly exhausted bring a cup of hot coffee and some biscuit it will restore the poor wretch and help him to tell us what he wants said the master after taking the food and liquid the negro speedily revived and drawing his finger across his throat with the addition of other signs he intimated that his master was about to kill him when he made his escape and it was evident that he must have swum a distance of two miles or more at the risk of his life to put himself under the protection of the british flag his name he intimated was pango and that his master if he should recapture him would carry him off and kill him hamed on being summoned interrogated the black and from the account he gave adair and green were convinced that they had clearly understood pango's pantomimic language the commander who had not turned in on coming on deck and hearing the case promised poor pongo that he should be protected and to do so effectually at once entered him on the ship's books the negro expressed his gratitude by every means in his power and being taken below by ben snatchblock the boatswain was speedily to his delight and satisfaction rigged out in seamen's duck trousers and shirt he was notwithstanding far from being at ease dreading lest the tyrannical master from whom he had fled should discover his place of retreat and claim him hamed however made him understand that he now belonged to the ship and that all on board would fight for him with their big guns and small arms and go to the bottom rather than give him up on comprehending this he showed his joy by capering and singing and making a variety of demonstrative gestures signifying that if his former owner came to look for him he would get more than he bargained for at length he stopped and a shade of melancholy came over his countenance hamed who in spite of his ugliness possessed some of the better feelings of human nature asked him what was the matter he sighed and said that he had a brother on shore who was as badly off as he had been and that he should now be parted from him forever as he could never venture back to mozambique or set his foot on shore in the neighborhood lest he should be kidnapped and carried back to a worse bondage than that from which he had escaped hamed of course could give him little hope of rescuing his brother and advised him to turn in and be thankful that he himself had escaped notwithstanding poor pongo's fears no one appeared to claim him and the next morning he was seen among the men forward lending a hand at all sorts of jobs evidently anxious to make himself useful 
the pilot at length came off announcing that the tide and wind would now serve for taking out the ship hands shorten and cable shouted ben snatchblock his pipe sounding shrilly along the decks pungo remained forward concealing himself behind the foremast though he every now and then took a glance at the ill-favored pilot a big cutthroat piratical-looking individual who was standing aft near the master while his boat hung on alongside the quarter sail was made the anchor lifted and the ship was gathering way when a black sprang out of the boat alongside through a port and tried to hide himself under one of the midship guns the savage-looking pilot espied him and ordered him back into the boat instead of obeying he clung tightly to the gun remove the man and put him back into the boat said the commander but do not handle him roughly now as the poor black clung with might and main to the gun and shrieked loudly for mercy the latter order prevented the seaman from executing the former the nigger won't let go sir shouted the master-at-arms ned lizard unless we cut off his hands and feet might as well try to haul a cuttlefish from a rock without leaving its feelers behind it let him alone then said murray and turning to the pilot he intimated that he must take his man himself if he wanted him but that he must in the meantime look out not to run the ship on shore the pilot accordingly continued at his post every now and then glaring savagely at the poor negro and uttering a growl signifying that he would very soon have him in his power blacky still clung fast to the gun casting a piteous look at the good-natured countenances of the seamen imploring them to help him which it was evident they would be very ready to do at length the ship was in the open sea and the pilot who had received his payment was in a hurry to return approaching his slave he ordered him to get into the boat the latter only replied by piteous shrieks and cries clinging as tightly as before to the gun with arms and legs while he seized the tackle in his jaws tell the pilot hamed that he must carry off the gun and all if he wants the man but take him by force he must not said adair no sooner had hamed interpreted this than the pilot drawing his dagger would have plunged it into the back of the miserable slave had not the master-at-arms seized his arm exclaiming no no my fine fellow we'll have none of that sort of thing on board here if you want the man as the lieutenant says you must take him by fair means and if not you must let him stay tell him hamed if he tries that trick again he'll be run up to the fore yard arm there before he is many hours older the pilot stamped and swore all sorts of mohammedan oaths which might have shocked even the ears of the prophet and appealed to the commander who intimated in return that if the slave sought the protection of the british flag it would be granted him and that it was very evident he had no desire to go back to mozambique at last mustafa saw that he must make up his mind to lose his slave and casting a last ferocious look at him as much as to say if i ever catch you on shore my fine fellow your skin and bones will part company he lowered himself down into the boat blacky peered through the port till he saw that she had actually let go and was dropping astern when he jumped up and the next instant pongo coming from his hiding-place rushed aft 
and the two blacks, throwing their arms round each other, burst into tears of joy. The last runaway was no other than Pango's brother, who was forthwith christened Bango. Not forgetting the pilot, they together ran aft and waved their hands triumphantly at him, as the ship, increasing her speed, left the boat astern, he shouting and grinning with mad and impotent rage. The corvette stood down the coast, a bright lookout being kept both for native dows and square-rigged vessels, of which not a few Brazilians, Spaniards, and Americans were known to be engaged in the nefarious traffic. The carpenters had been busy fitting the boats, raising the gunwales of the smaller ones, and adding false keels to the larger, to enable them the better to carry sail. And all hands guessed that something was to be done, but what it was the commander kept to himself, or made known only to his lieutenants. In spite of the utmost vigilance of the lookouts, not a vessel had been seen till one morning, just at daybreak, as the ship was standing in for the land, the wind being to the southward, a dhow was discovered coming up before it, her canvas of snowy whiteness glittering in the rays of the rising sun. The commander, who was on deck, in a moment gave the order to lower the lifeboat, and Adair, with Ben Snatchblock and Desmond, leaped into her and pulled away for the coast, so as to intercept the dhow should she attempt to pass ahead of the corvette. "'We've caught the dhow in a trap, at all events,' observed Adair, "'for she's no chance with the ship on a wind. She is certain to try and run for it close inshore, when we shall as certainly catch her. Give way, my lads.' She hasn't seen us as yet, and stands on with a flowing sheet, thinking that she has a good chance of slipping between the corvette and the land. The wind being light, the corvette was making but little way through the water, and had a breeze come off the land, the dhow would have had a fair chance of escaping, had it not been for the boat ready to intercept her. The dhow, under her immense spread of canvas, glided on rapidly and her Arab captain was probably congratulating himself on the prospect of escaping from his powerful foe when he caught sight of the boat lying in wait for him. Heavy rollers broke on the shore, sending the surf flying up many yards over the beach. The dhow was seen suddenly to put up her helm and to steer directly for the shore. "'Good heavens!' cried Adair. "'The Arab isn't going to attempt to carry his vessel through those breakers.' "'He is, though, sir.' observed Snatchblock. It's a pretty sure sign that he has got a cargo of slaves aboard. Poor beings. Not many of them will reach the beach alive. Adair immediately steered the boat towards the dhow, though he had little hope of reaching her in time to prevent her from running on destruction. Several shots were fired to make her heave too, but the Arab crew heeded them not and Adair had got almost within a cable's length of the breakers when the doomed vessel was seen plunging in their midst to be cast in a few seconds on the shingly beach. Wildly the sea broke over her, and almost as if by magic her bulky hull, melting away, exposed to view a hundred or more black forms struggling in the water, endeavoring to make their way to dry land. Some of the unfortunate beings succeeded, but others were carried back into the surf, and hurled over and over, were lost to sight, none of them being drifted out as far as the boat. All this time Adair was pulling in towards the breakers. 
he saw that the Arab crew, who had been the first to reach the shore, were urging on the blacks to run towards a thick wood, the outer edge of which was a few hundred yards only from the beach. "'I think we can do it,' he said to Snatchblock. "'I have been through worse breakers than those in a less buoyant boat than ours. "'If we don't manage to get on shore, the Arabs will carry off every one of the slaves.' "'She'll go through it, sir,' answered Snatchblock, looking round at the breakers. "'We might save some of the poor wretches, at all events. "'Give way, my lads,' cried Adair. "'And the boat, urged forward by the stout arms of the crew, "'was speedily in the midst of the breakers. "'The sea struck her abaft, "'and washed clean over her from stern to stem, "'and had not Snatchblock aided Adair "'in hauling away on the yoke-line, "'she must have broached two. "'A lifeboat alone could have existed "'amid those heavy breakers.' The next instant, another sea struck her, washing over her whole length and covering everyone in her. But as it went right over the bows, only a few inches of water remained. A third time she was deluged, and then down she sank, it seemed, into comparatively smooth water, and glided up easily on to the shelving beach. The firearms, having been fortunately covered up, were fit for use. Calling to his men to follow, two only being left in the boat, Adair set off in pursuit of the Arabs and their captives. It seemed extraordinary that the latter should have been willing to run off when friends were at hand, eager to rescue them from captivity. But they were evidently as eager to escape as their masters. The Arabs, seeing only a small number of Englishmen, would probably, as soon as they had gained the shelter of the wood, have turned round and fired and Adair fully expected to be attacked. Fortunately, in their hurry to escape from the Dow, they had left their muskets behind them, and their only chance of safety was by flight. How the slaves, when they found them unarmed and in their power, might be inclined to treat them, was a different question. Several black forms were still seen running as fast as their legs could carry them towards the bush, and Adair and Desmond, who kept ahead, came up with two young men looking more like skeletons than living beings. As they caught them by the arm, the poor wretches sank down on the ground, shrieking with terror. Snatchblock and the men caught three more, but it was no easy matter to induce them to run to the beach. Not one Arab was to be seen, and the remainder of the blacks disappeared among the thick bushes where it would have been next to madness for so small a party to have followed them not knowing what enemies might be lurking near at hand. After some persuasion, the blacks were induced to come back to the beach, though trembling in every limb from terror and weakness as they walked along. Here four small children were found, in the same emaciated condition as their elders, and one unhappy woman to whom one of the children appeared to belong. She had injured her foot in landing and had been unable to run away, from her cries and shrieks it was evident that she believed some dreadful fate was about to befall her. How many poor creatures had been lost in the surf it was impossible to say, and as Hamed had not accompanied them, no information could be gained from the blacks. Adair, indeed, had now to consider how they were to get off again. As from the higher ground on which he stood, he looked over the wide belt of foaming breakers, it seemed almost impossible that the boat, buoyant as she was, could be forced through them. 
Even Snatchblock eyed them anxiously. "'We may do it, sir,' he remarked, "'if there comes a lull. "'If not, we shall have to wait here till the sea goes down. "'The worst is the want of grub and water, "'and we are not likely to find either in these parts, I have a notion, "'unless some wild beast or other comes to have a look at us. "'Then we may give him a shot, "'and try what his flesh tastes like.' The day was, by this time, drawing on. As not a particle of food or a drop of water had been brought in the boat, all hands were excessively hungry and thirsty. It was dangerous to separate, though, in search of provisions, as it was more than possible that the Arabs might instigate the natives to attack them. Snatchblock and Desmond, however, volunteered to go, taking different directions, each accompanied by one man. For the sake of the poor blacks, who seemed literally perishing from starvation, Adair would willingly have consented, but it would be far better, he thought, if possible, to get off to the ship. Anxiously he watched the long line of breakers, but they extended up and down the coast as far as the eye could reach, without an opening through which the boat might possibly pass. Another hour or more went by. No shade was to be obtained except at a distance, under the trees of the forest, and Adair considered that it would be dangerous to venture so far from the shore, as the natives might then have the opportunity of stealing on them unawares. They accordingly sat down on the beach, watching the breakers, in the hopes, as the tide rose, that their violence might decrease, and an opening appear through which the boat might be forced. The rays of the sun struck down on their heads with terrific force, quickly drying their drenched clothes, but they would gladly have remained wet as they were could they have found a few yards of shade beneath a neighboring tree or rock. The wretched blacks sat with stolid looks, as if totally unconscious that their liberators wished to benefit them. Every now and then, when they fancied that they were not observed, they cast frightened glances at the sailors. "'I don't know what the poor niggers are thinking of,' observed Snatchblock. "'Maybe they fancy that we're going to eat them, "'though it would be a hard matter to scrape enough off the bones of all of them "'to feed a young dog. "'I wish I knew something of their lingo. "'I'd try to make them understand that when we get on board, "'we'll give them a good blowout, "'and that in a week or two they'll not know themselves. "'I say, Sambo, we not want a mangy, you old chap.' he added, to the black nearest him, and making significant signs. We want to put some honest beef and pork flesh on that carcass of yours, and fill you out, boy. Then you dance and sing and become as merry as a cricket. The black certainly did not understand what was said, and probably misunderstood his pantomimic gestures. One of them, the farthest off from the men, had been sitting with his head sunk down between his bent knees, apparently utterly unable to move. Turning his head over his shoulder, he suddenly started up, and before anyone could seize him, darted off towards the wood. "'Come back, you silly fellow!' cried Desmond, who, with two of the men, rose to follow him. But before they had got many paces, a large party of natives armed with bows, arrows, and spears, accompanied by several of the Arab crew, rushed out from among the trees, uttering threatening shouts, as if to intimidate the Englishmen. "'Stand to your arms, my lads,' cried Adair. "'We must not let those fellows get near us, 
or we may be overpowered by numbers. Still the natives came on, some flourishing their spears and others preparing their bows to shoot. Adair lifted his rifle. Don't any of you fire till I tell you, he said to his men, while he took aim so as to strike the ground a few yards in front of the headmost of the party. No one was hit, but they knew enough of the effect of firearms to be aware that another bullet might find a billet in one of their bodies. Springing back, the foremost tumbling the rear ranks over, they threw themselves flat on the ground, and began to creep away towards the shelter of the bush. Adair, shouting to them, pointed to his own rifle and to the muskets of his men, intimating that if they ventured to advance, they would have to receive their contents. The hint, apparently, had the desired effect, for though the Arabs seemed to be doing their utmost to induce the blacks to attack the strangers, they remained carefully hiding themselves among the trees. As, however, they might at any moment rush forward, the seamen kept their muskets ready for instant service, with a watchful eye on their movements. In the meantime, the black who had escaped had joined them. What account he had given of the white men it was impossible to say. One thing was certain, that the presence of the natives would prevent any attempt to go in search of food and water, and if they could not get off, their sufferings from thirst and hunger would become serious. With increased anxiety, Adair cast his eye over the foaming rollers, both up and down the coast. The breeze blew strong as ever, and not a break appeared in that long line of glittering surf. The party were literally hemmed in, almost without hope of escape. They might have beaten off the natives and made their way into the interior till they could fall in with some game and a stream of water, but then they would have had to leave the boat and the blacks unprotected. Still, to starve where they were was not to be thought of. "'Faith, I'm growing fearfully peckish,' exclaimed Desmond. "'If you'll let me, sir, we'll try and get hold of one of those fellows, and make him order the rest to bring us some grub.' If the sea won't go down, it's the only chance we have. Snatchblock was of Desmond's opinion, and of course the men were ready to follow them. Still, Adair was unwilling to run the risk of being overpowered. No, no, he answered. We can hold out some time longer. And if at last we find it impossible to get off, we can but do as you propose. I think, sir, the sea is going somewhat down, said Snatchblock at length. "'We might get through just a little to the right there. "'See, sir, some of the rollers come in with only just a slight top to them, "'and if we take the right moment, we may get through.' "'We can but try it,' cried Adair. "'Lift the poor blacks into the boat. "'They'll not add much to her weight. "'Be smart about it, my lads, though.' "'The negroes seemed very unwilling to move, "'and shrieked out as if they were about to be put to death but they were but as infants in the arms of the stout seamen. The woman clung to her child as she was lifted with it into the stern sheets. The men were carried next and placed at the bottom of the boat with the little children between them. She was then run off into the smooth water inside the breakers, the crew jumping into her. But each time the water receded, she struck on the hard coral beneath, her admirable construction alone preventing her from being stove in. The oars were got out, and the boat pulled along till the spot Snatchblock observed was reached. Her head was then put to the sea. "'Give way, my lads,' cried Adair. 
he and Desmond holding on to one yoke line while the boatswain held the other, their eyes eagerly cast towards the foaming breakers, amid which they were about to force their way. The crew put forth all their strength. The first breaker was passed. Though they bent to their oars like true British seamen, the second, as it came thundering on, hurled them back, and it required all the skill of Adair and his companions to manage the boat till they reached the smooth water. "'Never say die, lads,' cried Adair, after waiting a few minutes to allow the men to recover their strength. "'We'll try it again. If the ash sticks hold, your muscles will, I am sure.' "'Aye, aye, sir,' answered the crew. "'We're ready.' "'Then give way.' The attempt was made as before, but again a mighty roller dashed back the boat, and sent her nearly up to the beach. Still Adair was unwilling to abandon the attempt. He waited as before, allowing the boat to remain where there was just water to float her. "'I am afraid we shall have, after all, to haul up the boat and sleep on the beach without our suppers,' he observed to Snatchblock. "'We can easily keep the natives at bay and must hope for smoother water in the morning.' "'If it must be so, it must,' answered the boatswain, standing up, however, as he spoke, and looking seaward. "'We'll tackle them this time, sir,' he exclaimed suddenly. "'The outer line of breakers has gone down since we shoved off.' Adair stood up. "'Yes, we'll not be driven back again, lads. Never fear,' he cried, dropping into his seat. The crew, with a hearty shout, bent to their oars, and the boat, urged by their strong arms, bravely breasted the foaming rollers. The first and second were passed. The third came on hissing and roaring. The boat still advanced. Its heavy curling crest swept her from stem to stern. But she held her way, and was ready when another came on to meet it boldly. Over it she went, throwing out the water which she had taken in and, in another minute, was dancing merrily on the heaving seas outside the breakers. Adair looked anxiously to see whether any of his sable passengers, young or old, had been washed away. In spite of the risk they had run, all were safe. The poor mother had grasped her child, and the men the other young ones. The sun was by this time sinking behind the land. The crew pulled away with right good will towards the corvette, which could be seen at a distance of three miles or so. She was standing away from the land to get a good offing during the night. They've seen the state of the surf and have thought we couldn't get through it, or maybe that we were lost, observed Snatchblock. Sure, it'll be the greater pleasure to them when we come back, said Desmond. Mr. Mildmay will be mighty glad to find that he hasn't to do duty as first lieutenant, though I don't know what old Sanford may wish in his heart of hearts. He might not object to be made acting lieutenant. Sanford was the senior mate on board. Had he thought that any accident had happened to us, the commander would have sent in a boat to ascertain the fact, said Adair. Darkness was rapidly coming on, and by degrees the canvas of the corvette became shrouded in the mists of night. Adair, however, had taken her bearings and by the help of the stars was able to steer directly for her. Still, Desmond, who had become perfectly ravenous, could not help wishing that the commander, instead of keeping off the coast, had stood in nearer to pick them up. 
the men however pulled away cheerily encouraged with the thoughts of a good hot supper and a quiet snooze till the next morning after some time a bright light burst forth sending a lurid glare across the ocean there's the corvette cried snatchblock they hadn't forgotten us we'll be snug on board before many minutes are over at last the boat reached the ship's side and eager hands were stretched out to lift the emaciated creatures they had brought off on board the doctor took charge of them and administered some weak broth while the rest of the party hurried below to obtain the more substantial viands of which they stood so much in need on hamed's questioning the liberated slaves it was discovered that snatchblock had been right in his suspicions that the arabs had told them in order to induce them to escape on shore that if captured by the white men they would be cooked and eaten they stated that the dhow had been crammed full of slaves many of whom had been drowned in their attempt to reach the shore while it was probable that a still larger number would perish before they were again put on board another slave ship by their cruel masters had anything been necessary to induce the officers and crew of the opal to exert themselves in putting down the horrible traffic the state of these poor negroes and the account they gave would have been sufficient to stir them up one of the men and two of the children notwithstanding all the care taken of them died before morning the rest quickly recovered their skins filling out perceptibly every day with the good food they received end of section three recording by james k white chula vista